Welcome to the Behind the Lids podcast. My name is Mandy Adams, and I have the privilege of leading the Behind the Lids Healing Collective here in Costa Mesa, California. Our podcast is an opportunity to share the wisdom of facilitators who hold space and bring healing at our studio, as well as experts and influencers we believe you should know about. Before we join our conversation for today, we'd love for you to hear about an upcoming event at Behind the Lids. We have some exciting news to share with you. Behind the Lids is now offering online classes, and we just announced the first four taught by Mana Dabokar, psychic medium, life coach, and former therapist. If you're curious about communicating with animals, discovering and developing your eight clairs, your intuitive senses, overcoming self-doubt and unleashing inner confidence, or learning how to interpret your dreams, head on over to BehindTheLids.com online. That's BehindTheLids.com online and learn more about our new online classes. Welcome to the Behind the Lids podcast. I'm your host, David Trotter, and today our guest is Brandon Thompson, a Reiki energy healer, embodied breathwork facilitator, and sound bath practitioner. Brandon also leads the sound healing portion at Power of Three, a monthly cacao breathwork and sound experience at Behind the Lids. Well, today is quite a unique conversation. Not only does Brandon share about his own spiritual journey, but we both share about our personal experiences with 5-MeO-DMT, or what some call BUFO. This is a powerful and potent psychedelic that is actually a poisonous venom secreted from the Sonoran Desert Toad. And many find that taking the medicine helps one put the ego aside to enable an intense connection with the divine. So let's jump into my conversation with Brandon Thompson. Brandon, thanks so much for taking some time to hang with me today. I appreciate it. It's great to be here. Yeah. So tell us about your spiritual journey. Was faith or spirituality a part of your life growing up, or is that something that's a bit newer to your your life? There was quite a bit of resistance uh, growing up towards any sort of faith, any sort of spirituality, any sort of religion. I had uh, grown up in a family. My parents both got sober when I was nine, and they embarked on their own spiritual journeys. Um, I don't really think that led them too much into religion, but they kind of had to do something to, you know, get their life on track. And I really didn't want too much to do with that. Um, I had tried Christianity. I had tried religions on my own uh, in high school and, and kind of growing up. Um, and nothing really kind of like made sense to me at the core of my being. Mm-hmm. Uh, I tried Buddhism, you know, um, had some friends that over the years, and it introduced me or invited me in to um, my own path of spirituality, but I really didn't need it. Uh, you know, I was, I was kind of a hard headed person, hard headed kid growing up. And so I really didn't, didn't feel like I, I needed what these people were kind of claiming to have. And so uh, I just kind of stayed away from it for the most part, you know, dabbled here, dabbled there. What did you have instead of that? Like what was kind of the center point or the thing that caused uh, maybe a sense of stability or meaning for you? Boy, uh, I don't really know if I ever felt like I had a sense of stability or meaning. Uh, I really felt like I just kind of was floating. I never really knew like what I wanted to do. I had baseball. I was a baseball player growing up. I played baseball through high school and through college. And I guess you could say like athletics was my religion just because I was so committed to, you know, um, doing well and excelling there. And, and I did, 
you know, um, but once baseball, you know, was over, um, that's, that's kind of when I, I started to ask myself, like, you know, what am I, what am I really doing here? And so I turned to, uh, to drinking, you know, to drugs and alcohol, uh, started partying in college. And then, you know, on my journey of drinking and using, um, I got to a point where I started to need some help like my parents did when I was a kid. And that's when my, my openness uh, started, you know, even mm. it was reluctant at first. Uh, but I got to a point, you know, where I really needed something that was going to have, be able to shift my life. Mm-hmm. And so I had two options. I had kind of keep going the way that I was, which trust me, it wasn't any good or accept some kind of spiritual help. And it was very humbling. It was very, uh, very powerful. Was there a so, particular moment that was kind of a, a breaking point for you? Yeah, for sure. You know, I, uh, I got to a point, I kind of like built my life up and then tore it down quite a few times with drugs and alcohol. And, uh, I got to a point, um, one night in December of 2012 where I was empty. I was broken. I was, I was all of the things. I was just totally lacking anything worth living for. Uh, my friends weren't really answering the phone anymore and I didn't have anywhere to live. And, you know, uh, at that moment, I kind of realized that like I was going to have to make a choice to uh, to take a different direction in my life, and so <clears throat> I decided to get sober. I, I I decided to enter myself into a detox center, and uh, and in that moment, uh, I would say that you know love met me there in my brokenness mm. and uh, brought an individual into my my life at that moment that. Uh, was very helpful on shifting my life. And so it was pretty amazing. What was it about that person that helped you make that shift? Yeah, for sure. I, uh, he had love in his eyes. So I, I had coached baseball in my, uh, my years before getting sober. And I had connected to a couple of kids here and there, uh, as a catcher, when I was playing, I connected to catchers a little bit more deeply. And so I connected to this one kid. And, uh, and it was a beautiful connection to help this kid kind of learn some lessons and, and to grow up. And, um, and so when I entered into that detox, this kid's dad just happened to be in the detox. He was a cook at the detox and, uh, and they weren't going to let me into the detox because of my, uh, condition. They didn't think it was quite bad enough. <clears throat> Anyways, this guy pulled some strings for me when I was totally down and out. And they let me into this detox. And it felt like at that moment, I had an angel show up in my life. And it was like, hey, here's your chance. Okay. Mm. You've been dabbling your whole entire life. Uh, here's your chance. And so I, I kind of embarked on this journey. I got into that detox and I started to do certain things. And, and I would say one of the more profound moments that I had in my life was meeting with a woman who was uh, 40 years sober. And she had figured out what made her heart have a purpose. And hmm. she met with me when I was a couple of weeks sober and she looked me in the eyes and her invitation to me was for me to get my own experience, not to feel obligated to believe in anybody else's anything, but to get a connection to something that made sense to me. And the way that she looked at me in that moment and the, the presence and the energetic feel of that moment, my heart like opened up. Mm. And and I said yes to my own journey finally, and uh, and I would like to say that love 
grace, whatever you want to call it. It really met me and lifted my journey up. And uh, the biggest thing for me was just to kind of um, take an action and surrender the results. And in doing so, um, there began this unfolding in my life that was, I would say, magical is a good term to use. Mm -hmm. Take an action Mm -hmm. and surrender the result. Yeah. Help me understand why those two things are so important. Well, I always, I always chased happiness. I always thought I was supposed to be happy. And if I was happy that, you know, certain things were going to be good in my life, uh, you know, and, and I always thought that I kind of knew how life was supposed to go. And in my journey of kind of trying to have happiness and make a life, uh, I just, I felt empty. I felt lost. I, I could never, I could never do anything that like really felt fulfilling. And so, uh, you know, when I, when I was, had this invitation to kind of take these actions and let go of the results, I really allowed myself just to kind of float or to just be. And I knew that my way didn't work anymore. I had kind of gotten to the point where I was like, okay, I, I don't know what the hell I'm doing here. And, uh, and so to take these actions and then to let go of what the results might be opened me up unknowingly at the time to an alchemy with the universe where this love can enter in and take what I have done and make gold and magic out of it in ways that I never knew was possible because I was always so, you know, holding on to the results so tightly and then letting go of whatever happened, whatever came, um, you know, my life really started to unfold in beautiful ways. I always thought that I was going to be punished for all of the bad things that I did growing up. And that was one of the reasons that it was so hard for me to let go of the results because I just didn't want to let go of what was coming. I knew something bad was coming and it never came. It never came. I was met on my journey uh, with love and grace and it Mm. it guided me beautifully. And at what point did you begin to experiment with psychedelics as a form of either healing or transformation? And what was that experience like? Yeah, my, my, my experience, I think, is extremely unique in the way that um, I had never had any prior experience with psychedelics before. And I wasn't looking for psychedelics. I wasn't, I wasn't looking for anything. I had established a life where prayer and meditation were very integral parts of my life, kind of witnessing from a, a, a place of kind of uh, openness. And, and in my journey... You know, I feel like the medicine, the sacrament came into my field. And this was another one of the experiences of where if I really just kind of let go of the results, I seem to magnetize these things that will help me on my journey to expand my consciousness, to open my heart and to become more available to be of service authentically to others. And so my friend, uh, you know, came across this medicine, this by the DMT, nicknamed the God Molecule. And uh, in his journey, you know, he embarked and, and had this beautiful experience. And he came back to me and was like, you know, of all the people that I know, uh, you and your journey uh, align with this medicine. I really didn't know what it was. And so I started to do some research and, and it went back to that conversation with that woman, you know, that I get to get my own experience. I don't have to get the experience of other people and what they want from me. <clears throat> and so I said, yes. And, um, and in my saying, yes, you know, the universe really, you know, brought something magical and powerful into my field. And, uh, 
And it was it was incredible how, you know, the most the most beautiful thing that that life can offer, the awareness and the becoming of love came into my field from a surrendered place where I had no expectations of anything. And that has proven to be an extremely powerful lesson in life and in, you know, my own journey is that uh, I don't have to hold on to anything. And in that process, it opens up love's expression in ways that are beyond anything that my mind could ever even comprehend. Mm. So this medicine, uh, mm. 5-MeO-DMT, where does it come from? What did it do? What did, would you, what did you experience the first mm. time you, you took it? Yeah, so there's a few different sources that are pretty popular of where it comes from. I would say the most popular source today is the Bufo alvarius. Sonoran desert toad, Incilius alvarius. It's a, a toad um, that lives underground uh, nine months out of the year. It, it, it's uh, specific to a very small part of the world in uh, northern Mexico, Arizona area, and um, and there is there is a secretion from this toad that in the secretion has 5-MeO DMT in it, and it's like a miracle of nature. And so that is one of the most, if not the most popular way that people are using this medicine today. Um, there are also um, snuffs that people can take that have been used for a really long time called Yopo. And uh, there is also a lab generated synthetic version that is uh, a pure molecule that isolates the 5-MeO-DMT. And so my very first experience with anything was um, with the pure molecule 5-MeO-DMT. And then I expanded out into uh, really connecting deeply with the Bufo alvarius Sonoran desert toad. And, okay. Uh, yeah. And, and uh, you know, I, I, my, my, when I first heard about this, my thought was, what do you pick up the frog and just lick it? Or, I mean, like, you know, <laughs> like how do you great. have this experience? For a long time, that was the misconception. I even that for a while when I would kind of hear people talk about it. I'm like, well, there's a toad out there that you lick. And then, uh, you know, but luckily for us, there were some some explorers that had curiosity. And, uh, you know, back uh, not very long ago, you know, there was kind of this, this process of discovering that there is actually a toad out there if you, when you secrete, you know, from its parotid gland, there is something in there that when you smoke it gives you an experience of connecting to God and becoming, you know, God. And uh, I kind of wish that I would have been on that road trip. <laughs> <laughs> you lick it first. No, you lick it. No, you lick it. Totally. totally. But we're grateful that, who, you know, he did, Ken Nelson, you know, we're grateful for the, the fact that, that he went on this journey and, and, uh, and explored and found this, this gift. So the first time you smoked this 5-MeO-DMT five, five in, what was your experience like? It was incredible. I mean, the, there's no words for the experience. You know, um, the love of God, the love of the universe is so far beyond anything that the mind can even begin to comprehend. So when I took in the, the medicine into my lungs, um, all I could say was, oh, my God. That was it. I was in pure ecstasy. I was in pure bliss. I was the expansiveness of the entire universe in, in total celebration of itself, in love and bliss forever and ever right now. And there was nothing wrong. 
there was an awareness that there is uh, eternal love is perfect in every way and that we are here experiencing this journey really just because life can and it was this releasing of so many things that i had held on to and uh and you can't really explain that to somebody mm-hmm. you know but um i would say the most important thing for me david and this was that when i went into that love there was a familiarity to it and i realized that even in all of my hardness that I was connecting to something that had always been with me. Hmm. And there's something really beautiful about the process of navigating life from that, that perspective, because I know that I am always with love, that I always have the pure essence of the universe's unfolding within me at all times. And that I would say is probably for me, the biggest gift that I've been left with hmm. from this medicine is that there is something that, that I'm always with. And, and well, nice. your experience uh, that first time, is that a common experience or was that your own unique experience? Yeah. So uh, there's so many different kinds of experiences and there's so many different ways to use this medicine. I believe it is a medicine. It has the potential to show us everything. And it also has the potential to help us heal very deeply certain things that we carry with us in our lives and uh you know my experience of we call it the full release the nerva culpa samadhi you know outside of time and space it, it was a beautiful gift not everybody has that experience and not everybody has to um but for me you know that was that was the gift that i was given from the universe in my place of openness to trust whatever was coming into my field. And so I got to trust love and open myself up to receive. For other people, um, there is a healing that can take place. There is a really deep connection to some of the the things that people have carried with them. And uh, there seems to be a gentleness in the way that that love can kind of help people navigate through that. So there's a lot of different experiences that people can have. Um, but the, the potential for this to allow someone into their becoming of their own truth is, is the gift of this medicine, ultimately. And how long does this experience last? Is this, you know, it's, for each person? It's, it's pretty amazing how quick this is, you know, because this medicine is already a part of us. It's within us and it's within nature. And so there's a familiarity to it. So the body processes it pretty quickly. Uh, this experience of me going into God and then coming back to a baseline kind of similar to how you and I are right now, I would say probably took 45 minutes. And if you think about it, you know, going from completely sober to experiencing the entirety of love throughout the entire universe and then coming back to baseline in about 45 minutes, that's an incredible aspect of this. Super fast. Yeah. 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 And versus so, like a psilocybin experience would be hours and hours, depending on the dosage that you took. And, you know, ayahuasca, there's, there's weeks of preparation, you know, with this medicine. Uh, you know, I think you really just kind of want to have, you know, pretty empty contents in your stomach for the first, you know, for four to six hours ahead of time. And, uh, and just make sure that you're in a place where you're kind of, 
living intentionally, that there is a curiosity to, you know, how we can connect deeper within ourselves. Um, but yeah, it's, it's pretty spectacular. It, mm-hmm. It's amazing. Well, as you know, I had uh, my first um, yeah. Bufo ceremony mm-hmm. experience um, a couple weeks ago. And, you know, I wanted to share that with you to, uh, I guess, and, and share it with the listeners, essentially, just so as I'm one example, one experience, like you've shared your experience. Um, but for me, you know, I walked into the space and there was a, a ceremony to basically, uh, from my perspective, set the space apart, create an openness in the space for the experience, um, created as a sacred space. And so the facilitator did that through a, a number of different ceremon- ceremonial, you know, processes. And then, um, he had set up in the middle of the room, these large kind of big pillows and invited me to sit there. And mm-hmm. because I have not smoked really anything in my life, this is not a part of uh, what I've done. Um, and I had several psilocybin experiences previous to this for healing and transformation purposes. I went into this kind of thinking, oh, this is just going to be like a quick, intense mm. psilocybin type experience. Sure, sure. That's kind of what I was assuming that it was going to be like. And before um, we began the process of me taking the medicine in, I had this real strong sense that um, I wanted uh, my partner, Mandy, to be in on that experience. And so I asked her to come in. And he graciously invited her as well. And so she was there uh, with us. And then I take the medicine in. I think he said there were several different dosages that were prepared. And it was like, oh, let's start off with kind of a smaller dose. And so I take it in for, I don't know, it seemed like 10, 15 seconds, something like that. Held it in my lungs. And then he had mentioned, oh, you're going to, you know, kind of probably fall backward and it wasn't a kind of fall backward. It was like, boom. Mm. I mean, all of a sudden, I'm just like, it felt like I was, I, I don't even think I've ever passed out, but it, that's what it felt like. You know, I just like passed mm. out backward. And there was so much intensity in my brain. I can't even describe it as good or bad, just mm-hmm. intensity. It mm-hmm. felt like something was making its way from the front of my brain to the back of my brain, just like, and it was so intense. I thought, mm-hmm. I think I'm, I, I think I'm going to die. I can't mm-hmm. handle this. I can't mm-hmm. handle this. I can't handle this. I, I, I think I'm going to die. And uh, at that point, everything just felt like it crumbled in, just whoa, mm-hmm. and everything went black. Even though my eyes were already closed, it went from dark to like nothing. Just it wasn't the sense of darkness or blackness. It was just like nothingness, just mm-hmm. nothing. And I began to scream at mm-hmm. the top of my lungs involuntarily, completely involuntarily. And I, I'm just screaming at I mean, I've never screamed that hard, that loud mm-hmm. ever. And it felt like everything inside of me that wanted to come out mm-hmm. was coming out. Mm-hmm. And it didn't, it just it, once again, it didn't feel right, wrong, good, or bad. It just was. It was just coming out. And I, I was conscious of it. Like, oh, my gosh. I'm screaming right now. This is embarrassing. Oh, my gosh. This is, <laughs> I can't believe yeah. I'm screaming. I'm <laughs> screaming at the top of my lungs in front of two people, you know. Mm-hmm. And I could just begin to feel the tears just gushing out of my eyes and pooling oh. in my ears. And then immediately... 
I saw the faces of my ex-wife and two kids. My kids are 20 and 24 now. And um, I just saw them kind of almost like floating in this darkness. And I just began to sob saying, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And I couldn't stop. Like, I just couldn't stop saying it. And it just wasn't, you know, it wasn't, I didn't feel like I was, had a choice in stopping or starting. It just started and it wouldn't stop. And then I began to see some faces of probably about five or six other people started showing up in front of me. And I realized, wow, these are people that I am holding mm. um, myself I guess I I I I guess I'm feeling deep remorse for how I have hurt these people. Mm. How they have and they were all specifically people who had invested in my life and I felt like I've let them down. Yeah. So um the more mentor type people. And I just kept saying I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. And then um I get a little mixed up on the, you know, timeline because it, you know, it does feel like Okay, it might be 45 minutes, but it feels like it's hours and hours. You know, at least it did for me. Yeah. And as I share this, you know, those of you who are listening, this is my experience. This is, mm. you know, unique to me. So I, I don't know what others would experience. But um, then I began to have this visual of um, these moments in time where I felt like I was being called by God to play a role in mm. doing something good on the planet. And so because of my background in Christianity, you know, of course, well, the first instance that came to my mind was as a kid choosing to follow Jesus, mm. then being baptized at 13, then having a calling into ministry as a pastor when I was 18, then preaching my first sermon at my dad's church when I was 18, then um, being prayed over in 19, February of 98 at a church called Rock Harbor when I was hired as the associate pastor. Then I remember being prayed over in 2003 when I started my own church in Long Beach. And all of those mo markers just came flooding into my brain. Mm. And, I, and I began to involuntarily, um, what in the Christian world, you know, you would call speaking in tongues in more of the spiritual mm. world called light language. And I have spoken in tongues, light language, um, since I was 18. And there have been seasons where I have done it, you know, more or less. And in recent, um, the last couple of years, a bit more, um, especially because I began to be introduced to people in the spiritual community yeah. Yeah. that were exercising mm -hmm. that. And I thought, wow, I, yep. would, I would not have thought of that. And so for me, that speaking in tongues is always a a connection with my mm. spirit to the spirit. And it's just this intimate, you know, some would call it a prayer language where it's just spirit to spirit. And in this moment, mm. it wasn't me speaking to the divine. It was the divine speaking mm. to me and through me. And it was radically different. It was the same language that I've oftentimes spoken since I was 18, but it was and as it's coming through me with such force, I'm feeling this massive release of remorse, of guilt, of shame, and a reminder of my calling. You know, I felt like it was a reaffirmation of my calling to bring sort of to be a source, a channel of light, love, healing to 
this planet. And I felt yeah. it in such a way that I had never felt it before. It was like, no, 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 this is the real essence of your calling. Your mm -hmm. calling is not to lead an organization. Your calling is to bring light, love, and healing to the planet as yeah. a, a conduit, as a channel, as a representative of the divine. And um, I do believe that we all have that calling in some way, but I kind of have, because of my background, a, uh, a sense that there are some that are called to do that in a different way or a different level or different, different uh, focus. Mm -hmm. And so um, I have felt through experiences that I've had over the last couple of years, including a divorce, that really I have just um, compromised that calling i've i've been uh mm. decalled <laughs> de decommissioned <laughs> you, you have been decommissioned <laughs> you know like like ah, the choices that you've made it just have um have uh eliminated that and even though i might still be doing good things even though i still might be leading classes or writing books or speaking there can be that feeling inside for me of yeah, but I'm still screwed mm -hmm. up and it just, mm -hmm. it's like, I'll never be as successful. I'll never be as helpful. I'll never be as, you know, much of a servant to people as I could have been if I didn't have made, you know, if I wouldn't have made these mistakes or made these choices. So, um, and then I went back into another visual of my ex-wife and kids faces. And I felt, um, I just kept saying, thank you for loving me. Thank you for loving me. Thank you mm -hmm. for loving me. And thank you to all these other faces that I had seen that were mentors thanking them for loving me as well because one of my challenges is not being able to or struggling with receiving love from others not feeling worthy of that love and so i'm thinking for loving and um i in the last year have just carried a, a pretty deep darkness about my uh previous life in you know a 28 year marriage and just feeling a, a heavy darkness about that and a, a brokenness. And I felt like I had the opportunity to choose. Do I want to leave that door open and allow that darkness to kind of almost like, like kind of uh, hold me down or close that door and step into a new season mm -hmm. and, you know, kind of release that. And so um, I just, uh, began to say goodbye to, you know, my uh, ex-wife and my mind and my previous, you know, life and the way that it was constructed. And um, I saw her just walking off into the distance and the door closing behind her. And I was just was sobbing at the, um, you know, the whole encounter, the whole experience. And I saw my kids kind of stay near me and feeling like, this is, it's almost feels like a funeral for mm. my old life, like this yeah. massive release. And I knew in previous months, I felt like, God, I just feel like I need a funeral for my life. It's such a huge part of my life is just gone and I'm grieving, but I don't know how to let it go. And then after I saw her leave, I felt like all of these images came back of those moments where it felt like a, a reaffirmation of my calling. And I began to speak in that light language in with such force and with mm. such intensity. And it just was flowing, you know, in me and through me. And it felt mm -hmm. like 
it was the divine speaking yeah. directly to me through this. And I'm just in complete nothingness, darkness, but feeling also this presence. And, you know, one of the things that the facilitator asked was, what was your intention? It's like, well, I want to cultivate more self-love, self-worth. I kept thinking to myself, when is the love coming? This does not feel like love. This yeah, feels like sure, sure. soul surgery. This feels like I'm in the psilocybin feels like a fantastical world, like kind of sure. like, oh, I realize I'm in make-believe. This experience did not feel like make-believe. It felt like, no, I'm in the middle of my soul and mm-hmm. coming out of me and or I'm being re, you know, reminded in deep ways of what's true for me. And um, I then began to see uh, this face of a lion. And I knew it's like I was yeah. feeling like, no, God is calling me to be fierce like a lion, mm. but with this gentleness and humble mm-hmm. heart. And mm-hmm. I saw this female lion come up and just nestle her head right next to mine. And I, you know, I sense like, oh, this is Mandy. It's coming up and being with me. And um, uh, so I, I walked away feeling like, okay, wow, massive release of old mm-hmm. life, mm-hmm. massive darkness. And in the last couple of weeks, that darkness, I'll try to reach out for it. And it's not there anymore. I still yep. have a little sadness, you know, I can feel that, but that overwhelming darkness, mm-hmm. what's the even point of living in this life gone? Mm-hmm. And then reaffirmation of calling still, you know, challenges with insecurities or fears or anxieties. You know, it's not like there's magically, you know, gone, but yeah. I uh, felt like, whoa, that was a massive hurdle releasing that. And then re- then uh, embracing or being reminded of that calling again at a in a different way. So much of work in the in the, you know church for me at least it was about building the organization and I was really good mm-hmm. at that. Mm-hmm. That's different mm-hmm. than at least for me feeling like I'm a, a channel or a conduit of of helping people, bringing hope and healing and health mm-hmm. you know to people. That just feels really different. So there you go. That was that was my. Um, experience. And, uh, you know, he had said, if you want more medicine, you know, kind of put your hands together, you know, if you want to take another, you know, inhale, (laughs) I'm like, do not bring that near me. I do not want another, do not do, I can't, I I don't even, I don't even know how I would have handled another intake of that. I would have just, I would have exploded, you know, (laughs) no, thank you. Let's leave that one for next time. (laughs) Yeah. So is that experience, like, as you have, um, you know, uh, heard other people talk about their experiences, what are the things in my experience are common versus unique versus like, whoa, dude, you really, I can't believe you did that. You know, I don't know. Oh, my goodness. Well, first of all, thank you for sharing your experience and for really bringing the listener along on this journey of, you know, kind of sharing from the place that has been so moved by this medicine, you know, um, thank you for that. That's a really beautiful thing to hear and to be able to feel into, you know, um, there are so many different variations of what people can experience with this medicine. But I would say that one of the things that is a, a common occurrence with this medicine is that in order for us to get to the other side of certain things, sometimes we have to go into the things into the darkness, into the emptiness, into the heaviness, into the lack, into the illusion a little bit more deeply. 
And we have to have a sense of openness in that place and a sense of surrender in order to be able to move through it and to move past it, to be able, as you so eloquently said, to be used as a conduit of love. And uh, it's one of the things that this medicine offers. It's one of the things that, that, that is required is to have this, this courage, this courage to open up to love um, and to be open to whatever comes into our field. If there's anything that I've ever experienced with this medicine, David, it's this. I've been to all of the places. I have been everywhere, all the way to the highest highs and to the deepest emptiness. I've been there. And the truth is that everywhere that I have been, love is there. And that is something worth knowing, that when we work with this medicine, that we may ascend to the highest heavens or we may descend upon resistance into places that are very difficult. Love is there. And it's always waiting for us to offer ourselves as a conduit, as an open vessel to be used. And so many times we get kind of stuck in these stories. I don't deserve this. I've done these things. I can't be this. And we'll hold these things over our own head. Love is not punishing us ever. It is only celebrating us. It's us that hold ourselves hostage. And so sometimes this medicine will help us go into the depths of how deep those attachments are to show us and to help us to alchemize, to move through that so that we come out of that on the other side a little bit cleaner. For me, for my experience, my very first experience was the, was the all-powerful, the full expansiveness, and it was amazing. But I needed more work after that. This isn't just something that you do once and it's like, okay, it's a one and done. This can be a process for people of chipping away at some of the things because this earth, this world has taught us to really kind of navigate with a heaviness, you know, live in fear, consume all these things. And, uh, and so to go in and just to think that like one experience with this medicine is going to be everything that everybody needs, that's not true. And this for you was a chipping away, right? Where there was some real heaviness there. But there was also this message from love, you know, which stays with us. There is a wordless poetry that is at the core of the essence of this medicine and this work. And from that wordless poetry can come the most beautiful alchemy that we can experience. And so um, your experience is very powerful, is very unique. Um, the screaming, this whole like release, this massive screaming, is that, I didn't hear you, you know, necessarily share that about your first experience. Is that common? Is that like, I'm just got massive problems or? <laughs> I love it. No, it's definitely a commonality. It's a, it's a, it's a common, common thing to, to really see and experience people release. Um, there's been times where I witnessed people screaming and yelling at the top of their lungs and kicking and moving and then coming back and being like, wow, that was the most beautiful experience I've ever had in my entire life. So you really don't know what's happening when people are in these places, these deeper states. Um, and so it's an important thing uh, to find a facilitator that has the capacity to create a space that is safe and solid and sacred, secure. So that no matter what comes up, 
we know that we are being held perfectly from an anchored perspective of love's unfolding, no matter how that shows up. And as you know, uh, you know, people who facilitate this medicine, it is a very important thing to be able to create a space and hold a space from a total allowance, from a total trust. However, love, however the experience is going to show up, knowing that that is perfect and not trying to interject, but just to protect, to hold, to witness, and ultimately to celebrate because this is love's unfolding. And sometimes we got to go into some really deep places to realize that love's always been there. We've just been the ones that are holding on to the story that covers that up, you know? So for you, I'm so happy for you that you know you went into this 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 place this emptiness this 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 darkness and you have come out on the other side with this this newfound perspective as you said kind of almost a rebirth oh that is so beautiful um and you know that's one of the things that this that this magical powerful medicine offers is for us to really reconnect to our essence um, and to be used as vessels of love for love's unfolding out into this world. With any kind of sacred medicine, the need for integration afterwards in the weeks, you know, days, weeks, months to come seems so important. How would you encourage, you know, listeners who have this experience or myself to like take those steps toward integration? What does that look like? Well, I, any good facilitator is, is going to quickly make it apparent that they are going to be available before, during, and after the experience. And any any decent facilitator is going to let them let people know that the integration is probably the most important part of the entire experience. And I know for myself, when I knew that my facilitator was available when I needed him, it made me very comfortable. And uh, and so, you know, everybody's integration is different. Most people have a very smooth integration with this medicine. Other mm. people may have a little bit more of a difficult time. Um, and just being able to be there, to have a facilitator that can just listen, you know, um, and offer any sort of guidance is an important part, you know. But if a, good, if a facilitator is a good facilitator, he's going to know where his limits are. And if there's other help that's needed uh, to help maybe move some energies, you know, they might recommend, you know, that people go somewhere else, maybe like an acupuncturist, uh, you know, Reiki, something like that to help kind of move some other energies. So. Mm-hmm. Well, Brandon, thank you so much for sharing this whole experience. Um, this has been awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I really appreciate hearing about your experience and thank you for reflecting back my experience. If people want to connect with you, and follow your work, what's the best place for them to connect with you online? I would say they can go to uh, my website, I, I cosmicbearreiki.com. Um, you know, I do breathworks and Reiki and sound baths as well. Uh, as uh, And so they could probably go find me there. And then Cosmic Love Collective on Instagram, me and my beloved, uh, we have just offered ourselves as vessels of love's unfolding out into the world, however that shows up. So uh, those are a couple of places that people can come to uh, to check us out and to connect. You know, we as vessels, very similar to what you were saying, David, um, 
We hope to build a community that is anchored in love, that is beyond religion, that is beyond dogma, that is from a place of our hearts knowing. And in that place of wordless poetry, we hope to build a community to support people as they go out into the world and express their love and their best version of themselves. Awesome. All right. Well, we'll put those links in the show notes as well. Uh, so if you're listening on your phone, you can swipe up and click on those links now. Brandon, thank you so much for joining me, man. I appreciate it. Oh, this was awesome. Thank you, David. We hope you enjoyed the conversation today, and we invite you to share this episode with someone who would enjoy it as well. Take a screenshot, text it to them, and tell them to check out BehindTheLidsPodcast.com. Also, we encourage you to rate and review the show on the podcast platform where you are listening. We'll see you next time, Behind the Lids.